Well, good morning, church. Glad that you're here. Isn't it a great morning to get up nice and warm outside and all of that? Amen. Glad that you're here. What a what a great Sunday to kick off the new year. Isn't that right? We can praise the Lord together, learn some things together, and we're going to do that this year. I want you to take your Bible this morning, and I want you to go to the last book of the Old Testament, okay? The Last book right before we jump right into the New Testament, Matthew, this is the book of Malachi. And I want to ask you if you would uh, find it right in about the center of your Bible. And I want you to go with me to Malachi chapter 3. I know what you're thinking already. Oh, yeah, it's January. It's Malachi. It's chapter 3. Well, kind of. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Uh, but we're going to talk about some other things as well, okay? This year, uh, we've got, a, I think, a, an incredible year ahead of us, okay? We're going to not only begin a new year together, but we're going to begin this year with a specific challenge, okay? Let me just kind of lay that out for you for a moment before we, we read the verses, okay? Our theme for 2015 is this, owe no man anything but love, tithe, the tithe. And you're going to be hearing about that so much this year that you're going to say, I'm doing it. Leave me alone. Just let me alone. Let's just, but I, that's our theme. Uh, we have a specific challenge. Here's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to challenge more of our church to begin tithing. Okay. Uh, I, it's, it's radically revolutionized my life. And so we're going to be challenging more of our church people to consider, to pray about, to think about, and then to do actually tithe. And then we're going to also challenge our church to tithe the tithe, okay? An extra 10, whatever your tithe is, an extra 10% of that, we're going to challenge you to do that. And the reason we're going to challenge you to do that is because at the end of 2015, you and I are going to celebrate that Indian Springs Baptist Church is out of debt, that we're going to owe no man anything except love. And gang, when Indian Springs Baptist Church gets out of debt, God's going to use us to radically impact the kingdom of God. You know as well as I do that when a bill gets paid, it changes your personal finances, does it not? You know, sometimes we, we talk about, man, I, I got a raise and it, it's changed me. Well, I want to tell you, the biggest raise you can get is by eliminating a payment. Isn't that right? If you're having to pay $75 a month, $100 a month or something, and you get that paid off, gang, that's a $75 or $100 a month raise that you just got. And it changes your whole personal finances. It changes your whole personal life. And so one of the things we're wanting to do is to challenge our people to step up and tithe and then to give a tithe of the tithe. And then at the end of the year, we're going to celebrate it. So here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks, okay? Today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the joy of giving from the Old Testament. It may surprise you the, the direction of this, because I know what you're thinking. I've been in church a long time. Preachers get talking about tithing and immediately go to this passage. But there's something they're gonna, they usually miss. I'm going to hopefully, with the Lord's help, bring that out this morning. So we're going to talk about the joy of giving from the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to talk about the joy of giving from the New Testament. It'll be different than this passage, 
but I think you'll be able to connect to it, okay? Then on January 18, and you need to write this down on your calendar, January 18, we're going to have a special guest with us. John Morgan is pastor of Sagemont Baptist Church, Houston, Texas, one of the top churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, big church, okay? He's got big headaches, all right? Big church. Several years ago, God began to impress upon him that everything this church did, everything his church did, they did on a cash-only basis. Absolutely astounding what God has done in this church. And he's going to come and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story and the story of Sagemont. And gang, listen, it's important that you come every Sunday. Frankly, I, I want to have people to talk to, Okay. But if you're going to have to miss a Sunday, miss one of mine, or especially one of Don's, okay, and come to this guy, because I want to tell you, he's got a unique story, and he's going to bless your heart, okay? Well, let's look at Malachi. You know, the Bible has an awful lot to say about money. Jesus talked a lot about money because he knew it was a spiritual issue, handling your money reflects a larger thing in your life, and that is your worship of God. One of the things I want you to get today is this, that stewardship, now when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about your talents, we're talking about your time, obviously, but we are talking about your treasures, okay? Handling of your treasures specifically today is a matter of your worship, and you need to understand that. When I write a tithe check or when I write an offering check, I'm just not doing a duty. And that's where a lot of people want to go to Malachi and make this so, so lawish, if you allow me to say it that way. And they miss the heart of it and they miss the joy of it. I want to tell you, when I write my check, and that's the only one I hand write out, everything else is cyber stuff, okay? But I write the check because as I'm writing Indian Springs Baptist Church, I'm actually writing God on there. And I'm doing it as an act of worship, and I enter into the worship, so stewardship is worship. And I want to say to you this, it's really a reflection on what you think about God. Now, gang, I, I wish I had time to, to dig into Malachi more. Let me give you a little snapshot, okay? Uh, if I had more time, we could understand it a little bit better. But in all probability, Malachi rose to prophecy during the time of Nehemiah's second return to Jerusalem. You remember the story of Nehemiah? He came, he rebuilt the wall, and then he left, and it just began to fizzle. So he came back, and he began to reinvigorate the people. It was a time of spiritual weakness. Morally, yeah, spiritually. The heart for God had, had just grown cold with the people. The, the leaders, the priests were defiled. Man, he slams the leaders. They're offering blemished animals on the sacrifice. So instead of the first fruits, he's hitting the leaders because it was the leftovers that were being sacrificed. So that speaks to Don and me and, and our staff, okay? Apostasy had infiltrated that which was to be holy. Foreign marriages were taking place, and, 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 and they were not supposed to marry outside of their spiritual connections. That was taking place. Divorce was rampant. Spiritual arrogance was high. The nation was questioning God. They were bringing God down from his exalted position. And then 
according to the part where we're going to talk about today, they were robbing God in their tithes and offerings. And gang, this is a major thing because it was a reflection of their lack of spiritual health. Now, we've got a lot of issues in our culture today. Everything I just mentioned about then is today. But for the church of Jesus Christ, robbing God of tithes and offerings is the same thing. It's a reflection of spiritual health. And I understand you may not like to hear it, but listen to me. How you handle your money, how you handle your tithes and offering directly affect your walk with God. And the reason I know that is because it affects my walk with God. And if you can't trust him with your money, which is really his money, then he's not going to be able to trust you with his blessings. Do you understand that? Man, if you can't trust God with your money, which is his money he's given to you, why in the world would he trust you with his blessings? Now, let me tell you what's interesting, and that's, uh, is that the, is there a title? I thought I wrote a title. There we go. I think it's incredible how Malachi begins to move to this subject. This title to the message is The Immutability of God. Let's start right. You see, as, as, there's a lot of things I've already mentioned to you, but as he moves to the tithes and offerings, Malachi, and very few preachers, I guess, I've never heard a preacher do this, I guess, so... I may get fired after this. I don't know. But he begins with a cardinal doctrine of our faith. And that is the immutability of God, the doctrine of immutability. And I want to talk to you about that as we unfold the passage, okay? Matthew chapter 3, would you stand with me? And we want to begin in verse 6 because this is where this incredible doctrine is stated. For I, verse 6, Malachi 3, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. Now, you've got to get your head around that. Look at verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Then he moves into this tender subject of tithes and offerings. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the answer is, in tithes and offerings. Okay, there's both of those. Verse 9 is tough. You are cursed with a curse. Because you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then comes the command. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? Well, so that there will be food in my house. Now, the tithe could be grain. In all probability, it was more grain and fruit and wine and all those kinds of things. But the whole purpose was to bring it into the storehouse so there would be things, funds, to operate. That's the principle here. Okay, We don't want to get into a, 
I wrote down here, I don't want to get into an Old Testament, New Testament thing because the principle is the same. You've got to have some kind of commodity in order to operate. You've got to have that in your personal finances. I better hurry up so you can sit back down. Okay? You've got to have that in your finances. Isn't that right? Okay? So he says, verse 10, bring a whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing until he overflows. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12 is important. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Father, in the next few moments, help me. I love the passage, not because... It's an opportunity for a preacher to talk about giving. But it's an opportunity for a preacher to talk about the immutability of God. And when God's people get in on God's economy, their lives are radically changed. And from that, their church as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? All right, thank you. Be seated. Keep, keep your Bible open. And let me just tell you, the, the key to understand our verses, Found in verse 6, and it's not about money at all, folks, okay? It's about understanding God and trusting God. The reference to money, grain, crops is just one of the illustrations of how the nation had lost their way from God, okay? And that's where this immutability, the doctrine of immutability comes in. Let me define it, okay? It means that God is perfect, and that God is so perfect that God cannot and God does not change. You understand that? God does not change. And so if there's a deviation from God and God does not change, guess who deviated? The people, right? And if there's going to be a coming back, guess who's got to come back? The people, because God never changes. So immutability says that God cannot, does not change. And if there's going to be some healing in a nation or healing in a church or healing in a people, then it's the people who must come back. In fact, he says, return to me. And in Bible terminology, that's called repentance. What is repentance? It's saying, God, I want you to know I am wrong. You're not. God, I want you to know that I am sorry. And I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back to you. Look, kind of look at verse 6 and 7 there. He said, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside. You've not kept the commandments. You see, the only thing keeping them from not being destroyed or eliminated was God's covenant. God made a promise. And here's something beautiful to grasp hold of if you can get your head around it. The unchangeableness of God gives us the opportunity to change, to come back to him, to return from where we've deviated, to come back to where we've gotten off the path and start over. The immutability of God and the patience of God allows people like you and me to understand where we've deviated and to say, I'm coming back, and he allows us to come back, and he allows us to start over and start fresh that's the immutability of God aren't you glad you have a God that's stable 
Aren't you glad you have a God that's not whimsical, doesn't react based upon who we are, but he's always the same, always with his arms outreaching, saying, come back to me, return to me, and I'll return to you. Not just in money, that's part of it. That's what this particular text tells us. But in your life and how you're living your life, come back. Let's start all over again, okay? Now, one of the major areas, of course, according to this passage, is how we handle our wealth. I think that when you read the scriptures, old and new, you find the handling of money one of the greatest challenges, challenges facing Christians of all time, especially today. If we can return, if we can get this right, then most of our lives will straighten out. I tell you, verse 7 offers a great promise. Just come back. Start over. Do it right. And I'll, you'll find me right beside you, okay? Now, the question is how do we do this, okay? And so my purpose this morning isn't Old Testament, New Testament. I've already mentioned to you that the principle is, is the same. How do we do this? if money really isn't the issue at all. Well, let me just kind of walk you through it. Let's first of all talk about the problem, okay? Notice he, he says, will a man rob God? And you'll notice the word rob is used four times, or rob or robbing is used four times in these verses. The word means to defraud. It's only used one other place in, in the Bible, and it, and it means to defraud. Will a man defraud God? If you were to go to the New Testament and use that word, it would be translated insult, which to me, when I understood that, was a far more uh, challenging thing to my heart than defraud, because I'm not even sure what defraud means from being in the country, you know. But I can sure understand when someone says, will a man insult God? And these people were insulting God. Now, here's the situation. They were not going out and stealing. Not, they were not going out and stealing from others or from God, or grabbing and taking. God, in his covenant, had given them what they needed. And God was simply saying, give back a tenth part to me of what I've already given to you. And they were not doing that. And can I say that most believers today, in most churches today, are doing the very same thing. They're just not giving back what God has so graciously given to them. And all God is asking is to give back a dime of the dollar I gave to you. And so they were robbing God. And he says because of that, they were cursed. Okay, let me tell you my heart here, because I've been there, okay? I don't think. They were hoarding from God. It was tough economic times because of the sin of the nation. And in tough times, people try to justify, at least in their minds, they try to justify their disobedience. But disobedience is sin nonetheless. They were using God's money on themselves, perhaps rationalizing they needed the grain or whatever it is, on themselves, but it was still a sin. Disobeying God is disobeying God, regardless of the circumstances. 
pressure causes you problems, doesn't it? Now, let me, let me give you a snapshot of my life. Paul and I, when, when I got turned on, we, we grew up being taught to tithe. My dad taught us, man, you give God your tithe, you know? And I grew up knowing that. I got a little sideways in my 20s, but about 28, God really captured my heart. And one of the things that Paul and I did, we sat down and we said, we're going to begin tithing. Before we do anything else, we're going to give God the first dime, the 10%, and we'll try to live off the rest. We did that eagerly, cheerfully, faithfully, until God called me to preach. And I quit my job, and I had a teenage daughter, so you can, uh, you can imagine the pressure of money when you have teenagers and they're girls, okay? And we moved up to West Memphis, to Marion, though I was thinking, I mentioned I was thinking about you this week. And I remember, I, I didn't, we didn't even have a place to live, God gave us a place to, to live, and I didn't even have a job, and I mean, I just didn't know how we were going to make it. And I finally found a little place to live, and I finally found a job. I, I got a job for $5 an hour. Uh, I preached at a little church. Fifth sermon I ever preached in my life. You think it's bad now. Uh, fifth sermon I ever preached. They called me a pastor. They paid me $100 a week. And I want to tell you, I was highly overpaid. Okay? And my wife found a job for making, I think I was making five. She's not, I think she said something about nine. I don't remember. I remember seven. Only thing I remember, she would regularly tell me, I'm worth more than you. And so she was making seven to nine. I was making five. I was getting $100 a week. My son and I, just to put, put water in the pot, the soup pot, we had, to, we had to mow five yards a week. So I was pastoring, going to school full time, working all night, mowing yards. My wife was working. And I remember, gang, sitting down. And saying to God, God, I can't do this. I can't tithe. All of my life, God, I've learned to tithe. But God, I need the money. That's what was happening here. The economy was bad. Now, it was bad because of their sin. You with me? You tracking with me? But they were saying, it wasn't, it wasn't that they were hoarding. They were needing the money to live. But it was a result of their sin. And I remember saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I got a teenage girl. God, you don't have a teenager. And as I sat there and wrestled through all this, Paula and I talked. I said, Paula, man, I, I, I just, man, God's called me to preach. I think I'm going to be a failure at this. And she said, Tom, we always have done this. And I said, I, what do we do? And, you know, wives have a way. And she said, Tom, I I just think we have to. We can't. And so I remember saying to God, God, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I mean, my son was growing. He's hollow belly. He's hungry all the time. And, uh, and But we did. And I want to tell you, I've made some bad decisions in my life. And I've made some good decisions. That moment was one of the best decisions 
I've ever made. Because my wife and I, hand in hand, decided that if God said it, we believe it. And we're going to do it. And beloved, I want you to know none of you in this room and no one in this next service will be in the shape we were in. And we committed our tithe. And we never looked back. And we never missed it. And it put us in a position where God had to do some things to remind us that he's the immutable God, that he changes not. I can remember a, a time when, when uh, our, our car was, I had an old car, and, and the tires were just slick. I mean, in fact, they were beyond slick. There was metal showing, and I'd drive, drive down the road, and I think there were little sparks, you know. And it was just, I, I kept thinking, any moment, we're fixing to have a blowout. And uh, our church had grown from 10 to close to 200. We went to two services. We needed a pianist for the first service, and God brought us a lady, and about a month later, the husband started coming, and he saw me drive off one day, probably ran, thought the sparkler was coming out, you know, or something, and the next day he called me and said, are you busy? And I said, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at school. He said, well, I work over in Memphis. I need to come get your car. And I thought that was strange, and he said, it'll be all right. I'll get it back to you. So he came and he got the car. When I went out after class, after school, to go back to the house, uh, four new tires my car. And he said, oh, by the way, you hadn't changed the oil. I said, yeah, I hadn't done any before. He said, I changed the oil. God did that. And if I had said, God, I can't and didn't, I don't think I would have ever done that. I can remember Paula's birthday coming up, and I felt so inadequate as a man because I couldn't get her anything for her birthday. And, uh, I mean, you know, you probably don't know Crystal, but back in West Memphis, Crystal Burgers. You can get like 10 of them for a buck. You can imagine what they tasted like. We couldn't even go to Crystal. And uh, I just, I was telling, telling the kids, I just, dang, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, we don't have anything. And someone from our home church that we didn't really know that well sent us a gift card that could only be used at a restaurant. We hadn't heard, didn't, hadn't heard of them all the years from the seminary, hadn't heard from them since. But they sent us a gift card that had to be used at a restaurant. It came two days before Paula's birthday. Gang, I, can, I could tell you stories. I can tell you about my daughter wanting to go on a youth trip with another church. And it was, it was 50 bucks. And I told her, baby, we don't have 50 bucks. We don't have it. We just don't have it. We can't do it. And she was so, dad, daddy, you know what they say, daddy, everybody's doing it, right? And I said, honey, all I can tell you is if God wants you to go, there'll be money in the mailbox when the mailman comes. And as soon as I said it, I said, you dummy, why did you say that? There she is looking out the window. Mailman's driving down. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I said, oh, Lord, get me out of this. She runs out to the mailbox, and she gets so excited because someone gave us $75. Not only could she go on the youth thing, I had $25. I was rich. Dang, I can tell you story after story after story. They weren't hoarding. They just said, we can't. And it was because of their sin. They said they couldn't. That's what challenged them. And that's what cost them. And it's the same with us as well. You see, think about it this way. In the robbing of God, they were robbing themselves. And in the robbing of themselves, it created a lot of pressure. The curse meant no rain. No rain, there was no crops. 
No crops, there was no economy. So sometimes the judgments of God are economic repercussions, America. Would we wake up a little bit, perhaps? Would you wake up a little bit? Okay. Now, what's the plan? Well, after the problem, if you look at verse 7 and 10, I don't want to reread that, but let me give you a summary. Return in repentance. Bring the tenth part. Bring the first fruits, not the leftovers. Put God to the test. And see if this immutable God is trustworthy. That's what verse 7 and verse 10 says. You see, a believer's relationship with God is not rocket science, gang. It's what we used to sing all the time. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I don't have any secret ideas here to magically change your life. What I'm saying to you is this. Trust him by acknowledging that he owns it all and he has given to you from his storehouse. Simply obey what he says. Give back a tenth part. And then test him. Say, I'm testing you, God. Watch what he does. Watch this immutable God open the windows of heaven and pour you out. I will take that gift certificate to a restaurant. I'll take those tires on a car. I'll take that little money that let my daughter go to you. Far more than a big paycheck, you see. Because it gave me a fresh awareness of who God is and that God never changes. Are you tracking with me on this? Man, it's not about a demand. It's not about a law. It's not about uh, uh, an income tax. It's not about any of that. It's about who is God, and he changeth not. And if I align myself up with him, it works. It works. That's not secret. It's not magical. It's just true. It works. Well, let me wrap it up. I I want you to go to verse 10 and 11 because there's a pleasure here that we need not miss, okay? He says he'll do two things. Verse 10, let's read verse 10, okay? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. I think it's okay when we say my house, we would say church here, temple for them, us church, that there'll be food in my house. By food, to them it was grain and things like that. To us, frankly, gang, it's, it's money. Someone's got to pay the light, but there's not an extension cord coming down from heaven, right? Somebody's got to pay the electric. The wife, it's amazing to me. Young people want us to invest all this time and energy into their children, and I guess they just think that money just grows on a tree because they never help us do all these things for their children. Does that make sense? There'll be food in my house. Test me. If I'll not open up the windows of heaven, pour you out a, a blessing. The first thing he does is provision. Oh, dear people, when we get in on God's economy, we're able to do his will. He gets the glory and the honor, and we get the overflowing blessings. And we're able to do what he wants us to do because he's provided for us. We did everything we needed to do in seminary because God kept providing in ways that we knew 
It was God. And can you imagine when God's people get on God's economy and give like they should give from the heart and then give beyond in their offerings to let us get out? Can you just imagine what Indian Springs could do? Huh? But not just provision. Look at verse 11. This is very important to them. Protection. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. Not just provision, but protection. Now to them, maybe it was a wall that protected their crops from locusts and bugs. To us, maybe it's a refrigerator that keeps running. To us, maybe it's a car that keeps running a little longer than normal, or tires on a car that keeps turning a little bit longer. Or maybe it's when something does happen, it means there'll be means there to cover the expense. You see, I just think when we do it God's way, gang, it works. And it works in a way that the people and the church knows that it's from God. The joy of obedience is seeing the smile of God and the blessing of God as he moves in ways that you know that it must be from him. Verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land. When I was in seminary, one of my last classes in seminary was a class on preaching and uh, how to put a sermon together. Nobody paid attention, as you could probably tell. But uh, they talked about spending time on the introduction and then the exposition and the body of it. And one of the things my professor said at the end, he said, gang, listen, one of the critical things that most preachers fail to realize is you should put just as much time in the conclusion as you do the introduction. You need to draw the net. You need to close it with a wham. You need to, you know, rattle the eyes and shake everything, you know. And so I wrote this sermon out on Friday and uh, I thought, well, how am I going to close this thing in a way that everybody's going to say, hey, here's my pocketbook. Let's get out of debt. We're on the way. We're on a roll. And nothing came. And I'm thinking, well, God, if I'm supposed to have a conclusion, what's my conclusion? You know what God kind of whispered in my heart? Tom, just tell him. Don't ask him to sign anything. We don't need pledges. We don't need any little sign-up cards. We don't need the track. Tom, here's what I think you ought to conclude with. It's the best conclusion you can have. And I said, what? Just tell them it works. Beloved, this stuff works. Father, thank you that it works. My prayer for our people this year is that we can stand and proclaim it works. It works. Help us to get in on the working of that which works. And Father, I want to thank you that you started this whole context here with regard to touchy subjects for some people. But the fact is that you're an immutable God, that you change us not. That ought to be the foundation upon which we consider our giving. Maybe today there are those who need to say, you know, I haven't, but I'm going to.
that I, I'm scared. I have so many things on top of me. But God, it's the right thing. And I'm going to trust you to begin. And maybe today that's what they need to commit. Maybe there's others today that's struggling in their walk with you. Maybe they've been injured so deeply by so many. May your spirit encourage. May we as a church love. Whatever you want to do right now, Father, we commit to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together for just a moment.